First up tonight, it's no mystery. The healthcare system across the country needs a lot more than a Disney Plus cancellation. It is struggling under the weight of the pandemic still, as well as lots of backups, burnout, and so forth. I was reading this weekend about huge delays in emergency rooms, including at kids' hospitals. It's it's dire. Places still closed, not open all the time in smaller communities. So it's with added urgency that the province, provincial and territorial health ministers are meeting with their federal counterpart in Vancouver today and tomorrow, the first in-person meeting for that group since all the way back in 2018. Top of the agenda, as always, is money or the Canada Health Transfer. To be precise, the provinces and the territories are looking for more. Uh, they want them to spend more uh, as the struggle continues with demands from the ongoing pandemic, toxic drug and mental health crises. And the upcoming winter is looking pretty bleak already. Here's BC's health minister who's hosting this event, Adrian Dix. This is going to be a difficult winter because... We're going to see, and we've seen this in the southern hemisphere already, significant increases and challenges related to respiratory illnesses, including, but not limited to, COVID-19. The good news is the federal government is promising more money. However, there are strings attached. Uh, The federal health minister says provinces and territories must be willing to work with Ottawa on a world-class health data system. We would do this if provinces and territories are prepared to commit to a meaningful expansion of the sharing and use of common key health indicators and to therefore build a world-class health data system for our country. That's Jean-Yves Duclos, the health minister. Uh, but while funding may be there for a lot of people, but for groups, including the Canadian Medical Association, they also want to see a focus on some urgent solutions around staffing shortages and how to better recruit and retain healthcare workers of all stripes. And that would include a Canada-wide strategy to better gather data on the workforce to make sure demand surges are met. Well, joining me now with more on that is Dr. Alika Lafontaine. He's an anesthesiologist in northern Alberta, but he's also the president of the Canadian Medical Association. Thanks for your time tonight. Thanks for having me. So a lot of expectations, I would imagine, it's been the first time in a long time that everyone's been in the same room. There have been a lot of issues at hand. Uh, What are your expectations going in? I think that it's it's right to have high expectations because we have a very high level of crisis. You know, there's concurrent crises full unfolding across Canada right now. And the most important part of that is it's really affecting patients, you know, showing up and not being able to find access to a family physician, walking into a walk-in clinic, waiting all day, and then having to come back again the next day, going to the ER and waiting, you know, 15, 20 plus hours, along with other problems that, that patients are definitely reporting across the country. It is important for us to come out of this meeting with something tangible. And I think the things that we're looking towards are really within that prescription of hope that we move forward with, with the Canadian Nurses Association Healthcare Can. You know, we're, we're looking at improving working conditions, moving towards pan-national licensure, integrating virtual care within in-person care, not only for its convenience, but also its ability to, you know, expand our, our workforce and the way that they can impact patient care. You know, at the end of the day, really turning the tide when it comes to the experiences that, that patients are having right now, which are really negative. Uh, what's your sense uh, having? I know I, I know it's just starting, but is your sense that it it feels confrontational, or does it feel collegial at least that uh, that everyone there wants to sit and talk about this? Or because we hear so much about the money, right? It's always about the funding and the funding. But I know you you've looked beyond the, that to other things that you think can be done faster. Yeah, it's it's important to know that with these types of discussions, conflict is just an inevitable part of it. You know, and, and we've often said at the CMA that it's important for us to work through the conflict so we can get to the other side. And the other side is really solving patients' problems. And so I'm actually excited that on the first day, we're 
you know, being honest about the challenges. You know, you, you hear from Minister Duclos today that the federal government will be providing additional monies and that they'll be working with provinces in order to make sure that those those monies are directed in ways that make sense for those provinces. And, you know, the provinces on the other side are, are saying, you know, we, we definitely need the funding, but we want to maintain our flexibility. And so pushing through those discussions to the other side is going to get us to the point where we actually start to act. And the action part is what providers and patients across the country are waiting for. Yeah, you, you've mentioned that you'd like to be able to emerge from these meetings, not just with more talk of funding uh, formulas and so on, but you want to you want to emerge from these meetings mm-hmm. with something tangible. What might that look like? What do you think is a good first step at this point? Because it feels like there's so, you know, heading into winter ERs are packed, as you were mentioning before, the list of problems that patients will see is long. You know, as someone who's dealt with numberless resuscitations over my career, uh, one of the great challenges of severe situations is that it, it's hard to make a turnaround. But the other part that is a silver lining is anything you do is actually an improvement. And so I, I think because of the severity of the crisis that's happening in the healthcare system right now, there's a variety of different actions that can get us to that other point. You know, the most important point is that we start now. You know, so whether they focus on improving health worker conditions, whether or not we start sharing health human resource data in ways that we didn't before, you know, start to make moves towards regional or national licensure and registration, you know, any of these steps will start to move us towards the other big problems because they're all tied together. You know, you affect one of these foundational parts of healthcare, you'll start to have a trickle-down effect that will affect everything positively. Because you get the sense, even looking at what BC announced recently with family doctors, you get the sense that a lot of provinces are really looking to try to solve these problems. But at the same time, they are they are competing against each other in a sense, too, um, for, you know, for limited resources right now. You know, the, the competition will remain as long as we don't create a vision for a national healthcare system. You know, there will always be problems with making sure that you recruit certain people into certain places in order to provide effective care. But, you know, if we lean into collaboration, we can open up the way that care is currently provided into new ways of providing care that work a lot better for both providers and patients. You know, we, we often talk about team-based care, but an enormous barrier to team-based care and team-based care through virtual care is, you know, the inability for people to work across different jurisdictions, you know, the inability of people to be able to focus on tasks that they do well instead of titles or certifications that they have. You know, these types of moves will really help our 13 siloed health systems work towards the next iteration of what healthcare can be. And that's what gets me really excited. I, I think that's what gets the, the other uh, advocacy organizations here excited. And I, I think that today is a good first step and it shows some signs that tomorrow we may start to move in that direction. Yeah, um, Minister Duclos today st- spoke about uh, wanting to see a world-class health data system. I know that's something that you've been talking about, your organization's been talking about for a very long time. Uh, that that's, seems like a good first move. I don't know what kind of strings are attached to that when it comes to the provinces or how they'll react, but it sounds like a, a, a logical step. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it's always interesting when you look at healthcare versus other parts in our lives. You know, uh, we still use fax machines in the healthcare system. I, I don't know of a single person that I know who has a fax machine inside their house or uses e-fax. You know, so we really need to pull healthcare into today. And the only way that we're going to do that is by starting to break down some of these silos and, you know, start to lean into a, a national collaboration in, in one of these many different areas. You know, with health human resource data, you know, Facebook knows me down to the amount of detail that it can predict what types of things I buy. You know, there's no reason why we can't understand 
where people want to live, why they want to live there, the the types of things that they can do in order to improve improve patients' lives, and then have a way to actually capture whether or not they provide that value. And I I think that that's the real promise of health human resources. It's going to be a bit of a road to get there. But the fact that we're talking about it and it's no longer on the fringes like it's been in previous years, I mean, that, that is something that I think Canadians should start to get a little bit excited about. Dr. Alika Lafontaine is with us. Uh, he is the president of the Canadian Medical Association. Uh, Dr. Lafontaine, you mentioned this as well, that, that you'd like to see some solutions just about some some not quick, they're never quick fixes, are they? But but mm-hmm. some some initiatives that really are, are I, I don't like this term, but human focused, right? Like there are mm-hmm. people behind those numbers. We talk about a nursing shortage. We're not talking about numbers. We're talking about people and how to keep, how to get them to stay, how to get them, uh, how to bring in new uh, recruits, how to retain those you have, how to prevent those people from wanting to take retirement early. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think really getting back to that that human part of medical care uh, is, is something that we really have the chance to really turn, turn the dial on. You know, uh, medical care has been so fixated on how to produce the most volume at the lowest cost over the past couple of decades that to a great degree, we, we've forgotten the people in it. And now patients, when they come to receive health care, to a great degree, actually don't feel that they're connecting with the healthcare providers anymore. And so, you know, there, there's all these solutions, but at the end of the day, what are we actually trying to create? We're trying to create a moment for you as a patient to connect with the person across from you and get your problem solved. Now, who is that person? What do they do? What types of teams do they work in? How do we make sure that they're functioning at a very high level? Those are problems for the system to take care of. But if we can stay focused on that connection part, you know, creating that time and that quality time, in order to get what you need as a patient, we really can create a much better healthcare system than we have right now. You talked about morale being really low coming into this. How is that manifesting itself? And, and do you think something as simple as a few wins here might turn that around a little bit? You know, we're, we're really at an inflection point where the cautious optimism that a lot of us share can quickly spiral down into hopelessness. You know, we, we really do need to start to see some sort of movement into whatever is going to come next for the healthcare system. And, you know, looking back in my own career, I I think back to what did I sacrifice to become a doctor? You know, I sacrificed my youth. I sacrificed a lot of relationships, obviously time, effort, sleep to a great degree, you know, and all of these things I I sacrificed so I could connect with patients and really get one of the most amazing moments that I think any job can ever give you, which is feeling like you really make an impact on someone's life you know, an impact that will last throughout their lifetime. And, you know, if we can get back to creating that opportunity for providers where they really feel like they're making changes in patients' lives, where it doesn't become so hard to advocate for people who need certain things within the healthcare system and where you, you know, walk away from your day feeling like you made an impact because a a lot of us aren't feeling that right now. You know, I, I believe morale can't do anything but go up. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we hear it from any doctor we talk to that how tough it's been. And yeah, I remember, I remember from my university days. You know, doc, med students weren't out much. You know, uh, yeah. they weren't they weren't out much back. A lot. That's a lot of sacrifice. Well, just on the money factor, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, we talk about this all the time. It'll come up again uh, over the next few days. Do you think there's a right number from so, so that listeners understand when it comes to the whole funding argument? Uh, you know, the federal share being 22 percent, wanting it back up to 35 from what it used to be a 50 50. How do you, as the CMA, how do you make sense of those arguments? What's the answer here? I mean, who's right? Who's wrong? Or or is anyone right or wrong? You know, I I think the the truth is, to some degree, everything's arbitrary until it has the impact it's supposed to. 
Right. You know, whether you look at 22% or 35% or even 60%, I mean, if, if we spend money and we get health in return, and as, as a result, our populace becomes more healthy and then generates, you know, more value and, you know, it, all the inevitable trickle down effects of that, you know, it, it's really that endpoint that I think we should be focused on. And, you know, we definitely know that Canadian health systems across the 13 jurisdictions that we have do need a, additional money. We, we know that. We know that if change is going to happen, where we're going to transform the way that we work to team-based care, if we're going to start integrating virtual care more effectively, you know, all these other changes that we're talking about, it does take money in order to help people make that shift in their practice. And we do know that persons who are practicing, uh, you know, family physicians inside the community, you know, nurses within uh, wards inside the hospital, and everyone in between, I mean, they're really struggling to make ends meet when it comes to managing offices and, and the value that you feel coming out from work. I mean, you've seen stagnant you know, income over the last few years for a lot of different health professions. And so money is a part of that. But the most important part is making sure that we decrease the stress of helping people. You know, and, and once again, I, I think if we focus on that, all of these other things are going to come along. You know, and so what is the right number for uh, the, Can the Canada's health transfer? I think the right number is the amount that we need to actually make change occur. And that will go lower the more focused we are on the things that will actually make an impact. Dr. LaFontaine, uh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me.